good morning, Compass Bible Church. It is great to be back with you guys this morning. I send uh, greetings from Tustin, California, the greatest uh, city in California, I think. <laughs> Maybe the United States, possibly the world. It is a great city that we love and want to make an impact for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just to give you a flavor of what's going on this weekend, it is the Tiller Days. Anybody familiar with the Tiller Days out there? Tustin Tiller Days? Uh, it is like a, a 4-H fair on crack, if you can say that. Um, and we're just out there. We get a booth, and we have an opportunity to interact with people and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were there Friday night, all day yesterday, and this afternoon, our church will be out there to make an impact because we want to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And for us to be able to do that, you guys were so kind and instrumental in sending a team up there. My thanks to Pastor Mike and the rest of the pastoral staff and you guys for making that possible. And because of that, now we're celebrating great ministry and we get to rejoice in the fact that God has blessed us with a building. Did you guys hear that we finally were blessed with a building? <clears throat> Which is great and incredible at times because we were renters. We were literally preaching the gospel on a soccer field. One, I hate soccer, so it was really difficult for me to do. I had to focus sanctified thoughts that morning when we were out there. But we had that opportunity, and then God blessed us. And so as we're moving into our new building, it's feeling exciting. Things are kind of going back to what we would describe as normal. And uh, kids are back in school. It just feels good to have that rhythm back. Because I don't know if you remember what it was like during the pandemic, but it, it got boring at times, okay? During the pandemic, I watched so many documentaries. Did you guys watch any documentaries when you were in the pandemic? Like the last thing that you were able to do is just, okay, I'll just watch another documentary. Can I tell you about a documentary I watched? What are you going to say? No, of course, I'm going to tell you about the documentary I watched. I watched a documentary about the Dull Men's Club, D-U-L-L, Dull Men's Club, meaning boring, ordinary, common, the, the boring, dull men's club club. Now, I want to clarify any rumors that Pastor Lucas is the president of that club because he's not, okay? That is not true. I don't know who's starting those rumors. He is not the president. He's the vice president of operations, and that's just all that we need to say about that. So I'm watching this documentary on the, on the dull men's club. Do you want to hear the title of it? It's just so clever. Born to be Mild was the title of the documentary. Born to be Mild. And what they do is they're, I'm sitting there watching this documentary and I'm going, is the initiation into the Dull Men's Club watching the documentary on the Dull Men's Club? Because that's a pretty dull life that I'm living right now if I'm watching this. They started to detail all these men who aren't into extreme sports, don't want to drink these monster or bang drinks that are making them do all these crazy things. They're just, they're living ordinary life. The, 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 the thing, the tagline for them is, we like to celebrate the ordinary, like to celebrate the ordinary. That line got me thinking. We in the church of Jesus Christ should love to take risks for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, one of Paul's friends in Philippians 2 was championed for the fact that he risked his life for the sake of the gospel. We should hunger to do great things for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. But how do we get into a position how do we so train our hearts and minds to make sure that our every ambition, our every goal is to live for the glory of Jesus' name and not our own? 
And that's when we do the ordinary things like pray. See, we in the church, we have a number of different things that are going to conform us into the image of God. Bible reading, fellowship in the church, accountability, all those great things. But one of the most powerful ways is seemingly a, a really ordinary thing. It's not ordinary in that we are talking to God when we're praying. We shouldn't consider that ordinary. But when we sit down to think, all we are doing when we're praying is communicating with God. It's a seemingly ordinary thing. But do you celebrate it? Do you relish it? Do you cherish the fact that you get to pray? I don't remember who who said this, but I think it's a, a very apt quote. They said, the people who excel, who are excellent... Do ordinary things extraordinarily well. I want you to pray extraordinary, extraordinarily well this morning. I want you to take a look at your prayer life and say, I am not satisfied with the status quo. What I realize I'm doing when I am praying is communicating with the God of the universe to conform me into the image of his son so that my every thought and ambition is to live for his name and his alone, so we need to talk about prayer. To do that this morning, I want you to look at one verse with me, okay? We're going to go to the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 2, but start in chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, go with me to Colossians, chapter 1. We're going to study one verse on prayer this morning, but to get there and to make sure that we have the impact of this is we need to look at the verse in context. So Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. If you have sensed a lack of passion for the honor and the majesty and the supremacy of Jesus Christ, just meditate on the book of Colossians. It is a great book that uplifts the name of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, we likely have a hymn that the early church sung, and this deep-rooted theology helps hone the thoughts of the people on the greatness of Jesus. Listen to this statement. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That last line should stop you in your tracks, that in everything Jesus Christ might be preeminent. If Jesus is who the Bible says that he is, and he absolutely is the sovereign Lord of the universe, then he must have preeminence in everything. There is no category, no situation, no circumstance where his honor is not on the line. And you and I, if we have been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, brought into his kingdom as worshipers because we've repented and put our faith and trust in his work, not our own, we should, of all people, recognize the supremacy, the preeminence, the glory of Christ over all things. Go to chapter 2, verse 6 to 10. And notice how Paul continues to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, chapter, uh, verses 6 to 10 says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, 
rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is head of all rule and authority. So Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord. He is seated on the throne. We were ushered into his kingdom, and he's the king that we serve. And as we walk, as we live our lives that way, we must watch out that no philosophies, as the text says, no human traditions, nothing would steal us from our devotion to Jesus Christ as Lord. Did you see that phrase right there? See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. You shouldn't be captivated by that. You shouldn't be captivated by human tradition. You should be captivated by Christ. Why? Because he's head of all rule and authority. Flip over to chapter 3, verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17. Follow along the apostles' thoughts here. And as you get to chapter 3, verse 17, the entire chapter has been so beneficial for the apostle Paul to meditate on the glory of Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1, seek the things that are above. Chapter 3, verse 5, put to death what is earthly in you. Chapter 3, verse 12, put on all these great and glorious qualities. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And over and over and over again, the commands and the demands on the life of the disciple are brought to us. And then in chapter 3, verse 17, Paul sums it all up by saying this, whatever you do in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Have you listened to the words that are describing Jesus and our response to him? He is preeminent in everything. He is ruler over all. In everything that you do, word or deed, whatever it is, you have to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that is overarching, all-encompassing, worldview-shifting change when you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And as you begin to hear that, I hope you start to reel back on your heels because the demands of the disciple or every thought and ambition are to be done to the glory of Jesus Christ. And I hope you say, I cannot do that because that's the point. You can't do that. In and of yourself, you will be unable to do that, and that's where prayer comes in to your life. Pastor PJ, I think, preached to you guys during the pandemic, John 15, and we're talking about abiding. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, or maybe to quote the Apostle Paul, he it is who does everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? I will believe you believe that when I see how you pray. Because if your prayer life doesn't match what the Bible says prayer is, then you are not abiding in the vine the way that you need to to accomplish what God is calling you to do. To be a disciple is to understand your dependence, to live for God, and therefore you should look at your prayer life as something that should be defined by grit, that should be guarded in fighting against temptation and should be full of gratefulness. 
And that's where the Apostle Paul goes in Colossians 4.2. That's where we're going to park this morning. Listen to this verse in Colossians 4.2. Everything that Paul has said up to this point about the Lordship of Christ now confronts us with this verse. Colossians 4.2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That is the aim. That is the goal. When we say we are dependent disciples of Jesus Christ who want to abide in the vine to make sure we are receiving the strength that we need in order to accomplish his glory, we must pray this way. Do you remember in John 14 to 16 when Jesus said all that stuff about the vine, how many times did he say this? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I mean, the call to prayer in that section where Jesus is connecting vine and branches is is ubiquitous. It's on every page. But he's saying it with these different caveats. Ask whatever you wish that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Ask whatever you wish if my word abides in you. Ask whatever you wish if it is about the glory and honor of my name. And when you pray that way, we're going to watch God do some incredible things. It's good for us to take a step back and go, in all that God has demanded, and rightfully so, in all that the Lord Jesus Christ asks of his servants, are we praying the way that he wants us to? Look at this first phrase, continue steadfastly in prayer. So three different parts to how we're going to make sure we develop a, a persistent, a persevering prayer life, because that's where the power is. The power is found in persisting, persuasive, persevering prayer. Now, what I'm not going to give to you this morning is a formula that you can use, which is going to grant you your every wish and desire, unless your every wish and desire is attached to a promise in scripture. Then I can say you will have it. But what I'm saying the power of prayer is not to even necessarily change my circumstances, because at times it doesn't, but I will guarantee you the power of this prayer will change you. And when you are changed, God will work through you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So if you got your outline, number one, write it down this way. We need to develop resiliency in our prayer lives. If we're going to pray the way the Bible wants us to, to be dependent as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to develop resiliency in our prayer lives. Have you ever thought about describing your prayer life that way? I don't know that we often do. It is good to think of prayer as a a restful experience where you can gain strength. And it's good to think of prayer in terms of communion with your Father. But we never want to pull it out of its context in the Scriptures where we don't talk about prayer as a battle, as something that needs resiliency, as something that requires persistence and perseverance because it is difficult. This is a command in the original language. Paul is not wavering. He's not saying, hey, if you can get around to it, make sure you spend some time praying. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. It's a demand from God because he knows what's best for you. And he's making sure that as you follow this demand to continue steadfastly in prayer that you don't give up because how often is one of the great temptations of our prayer lives to be consistently inconsistent. We get get those times or seasons, something difficult happens and we start to ramp up our prayer times because that's when we think we're dependent. 
that's a lie from the devil. The only time you're dependent is when things are going bad. To understand who you are, the vine and the branch analogy, is to understand that at any moment you are in need of the grace of God and in prayer you have the opportunity to go ask for that grace because you are that dependent. So we want to make sure our lives match this. So when you think about your prayer time, this is not a, sh a shot at anybody, but I think in our culture we're starting to get this way because we have things like, we have things like Instagram. And people will often take times of their prayer times and they'll, they'll put a, a peaceful, serene picture of them next to a, a lake and a, a coffee and their, their Bible open as if it's just a, a nice, peaceful time. Okay? So nothing against you if you do that. But are you creating the wrong mindset to think that prayer is that easy? Guys, prayer is not easy. It's ordinary, but extremely difficult. Because there are so many things to distract and disorient you from your need of grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. Prayer is a battle, and we need to be resilient in it. So think about your own prayer time right now. Not anybody else's. Your own prayer time. And think, do words like diligence, faithfulness, readiness, perseverance, resolve, determination, resiliency. Is that how you would describe your prayer time, because that's the fundamental nature of this word, continue steadfastly. So I want to give you a definition, okay? I'm going to throw up a definition of what I think a resilient prayer life looks like, okay? If we can throw that up there on the board, it'd be very helpful. It's the longest definition that I think there has ever been in the history of definitions, okay? So forgive me for that. If you get carpal tunnel, I'm not giving you any workers' comp for writing this down, but this is what I think is a, a good definition to think through the difficulty of prayer. So let me tell you what a resilient prayer life is. A resilient prayer life is a sanctified, strenuous, and stubborn refusal to relinquish your faith in God's sovereign will by continuing to pray regardless of difficulties, feelings, trials, or circumstances in your life. Think about those last four categories in a moment. When you become inconsistent, I'm assuming one and probably more categories than that, one of those categories is flaring up in your life and is hindering you from doing the very thing that you need to do in order to obtain the grace that God is going to give to you to handle what's in your path. Difficulties come. My feelings try to disorient me. Trials are there. Circumstances are overwhelming. But the person who has a stubborn, sanctified refusal to say, I will pray no matter what. I'm going to go to God and I will never relinquish my faith in his sovereign will. If you think your prayer time, your job is to sort of finagle your will into heaven so you get the things you want, you're missing out. We need to wrestle our will into alignment with his will when we pray. And that's difficult. That's why I think a scene on Instagram, where things are really easy, is not the right picture. Do you trust your own will and desire to always be ambitious for Jesus Christ? I don't trust my own. And if I'm going to wrestle that to the mat every day, I have to be ready for a resilient battle. I have to be resolved to put things to death. I have to make sure that my faith is in God's plan and not mine. Can I show you an example of that in Colossians 4.12? Just drop down the page. If you're familiar with Colossians, you know that Epaphras is a great example of this. Look at Colossians 
It says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, a slave of Christ, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Do you see what Epaphras does? For his fellow believers. So it's not just us that we need to pray this for. We should be wrestling for one another. We should be concerned about other people and go to the mat for them that they might stand mature in Christ and that they might understand the will of God and have their faith in that. He struggles. The little word is agonize in prayer over that. Do you agonize in prayer? It's difficult to do that. This is not easy by any means, but is vital and necessary for our walk with Christ. Do you believe it is about Jesus' will and not your own? Go back to Colossians chapter 1. Paul is a great example of this. Not only Epaphras, Paul's a great example. Look at Colossians 1.9. Colossians 1.9, Paul says this, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. There is persistence. There is perseverance in Paul's prayer life. When I heard of you, Colossians, and I know what's going on, and I'm seeing the growth, and I'm worried about what's coming in, he says, I'm asking that you may be filled, watch this, with the knowledge of his will. That's what we're trying to do in prayer. Wrestle and align our will with God's will, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Those are the aims in prayer. That's what we're trying to do, making sure that we are wrestling ourselves, putting our will in alignment with his will. And notice Paul does it without ceasing. It sounds like 1 Thess 5.17, pray without ceasing. There's a persistence, a continuance, a resiliency in Paul's prayer life. But you know that phrase that we looked at, Colossians 4.2. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer. It's used so many times to describe prayer that I'm shocked that we're shocked when we talk about prayer in these harsh, hardworking conditions. I'm just going to give you some passages to write down. We don't have time to turn there. Just write these passages down as Paul describes prayer. Romans 12, 12. Romans 12, 12 says this. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Here's the last phrase. Be constant in prayer. That's written not to varsity-level Christianity, okay? Not to the first team. That's just normal, baseline, disciple of Jesus Christ. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Almost the exact same Greek wording. Be constant, be diligent, be resolved, be determined to never give up praying. Ephesians 6.18 says something very similar. Uh, keeping alert in all perseverance. Ephesians 6.18, keeping alert in all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, that word perseverance in Ephesians 6.18 is the noun form of the verb that we have here. This is why the Bible describes it this way when we pray. But you know what's interesting? The, the author Luke, okay, so he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. I believe you guys are studying Acts. He's also mentioned in Colossians chapter 4, so he has heard Paul teach a lot on prayer. Do you know over and over again in the book of Acts, Paul, uh, Luke has used that same word to describe how the early church found success in ministry. Just write these down. You studied it. You don't need to turn back there and look at it. Just Acts 1.14, they were devoted to prayer. Acts 1.14. Acts 2.42, they gathered together and devoted themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42. And then Acts 6.4, the apostles say, 
We have to devote ourselves to the prayer and the word, the ministry of the word. Are you shocked that prayer is described this way? Are you shocked that your prayer life isn't matching up? This is why we need these times to evaluate. And so let me see if I can give you some help from the scriptures to say, how can I develop this resiliency in my life? Okay, so letter A, under how I develop this resiliency, letter A is this. Do not confuse more with enough. Okay, write that down. Do not confuse more with enough. I hope this is helpful in every aspect of your Christian life, but specifically when you pray. Do not confuse more with enough. What I'm calling you to this morning is more diligence in prayer. What I'm calling you to this morning is more resolve in prayer. What I'm calling you to this morning is more resiliency in your prayers. I'm not saying enough. I think when we get to sermons like this, you can talk on Bible reading, you can talk on prayer, you can talk on evangelism. Some people have a very soft heart and they will start to hear teaching like this and they will begin to say things like, man, I am not praying enough. And they feel a sense of guilt and therefore they try to make a change in their life driven by guilt rather than being drawn in by grace. Those are two very different motivations. If you walk away this morning going, I'm not praying enough, you are not listening to what I'm saying. What I'm telling you is you must grow more. You must become more resolved, more determined, more resilient in your prayer life, not enough. Because let me ask you this question, when is enough prayer? When is it? What amount of hours, what amount of minutes is enough? When you talk about enough, it should never be in the realm of what we would call sanctification. When we grow into Christ-likeness, we can never use the phrase enough this side of heaven because what we are doing is on a constant trajectory of moving forward and there will never be enough this side of heaven of anything. Where we talk about enough is in the realm of justification. When I say the word enough as a Christian, I should be referring to what Jesus has done for me. When he said it was finished on the cross, it was enough. No work needs to come from me. Simply pleading and begging for the grace of God to forgive my sin and give me the spirit to transform my life. That's enough. But for you, enough is stifling and suffocating because it's an unbiblical and unattainable goal. But what you must strive for is more. The Bible will never allow you to be stagnant. If you think you can plateau for a season, you are fooling yourself because the constant call of the Christian life is a trajectory growing. How did Paul say it in Philippians 3.12? Not that I've already obtained it or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Maybe the reason you see that staleness in your life is because you lack resolve in prayer. And God does not want that. Your dependency on him is shown in the way that you pray. So this should be more and more. Don't confuse enough and more. Driven by guilt, you won't do this. Drawn by grace, you will. Can I give you two quick passages just to prove that that's how you approach sanctification? 
Just write them down. First Thess 4, 1 and 2. First Thess 4, 1 and 2. Let me read what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, a church that he commends that does a great job. Think about what he's saying there. First Thess 4, 1 and 2 says this. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you were doing. So that's the category. You are walking, living your life. You're pleasing God. You're doing that right now. What is the next line? That you might do so more and more. It's not enough. It's not like, hey, guys, I'm writing to you. Great job. You've pleased God enough. Work's done. No, do so more and more. Because the more you see the momentum and motivation that comes from praying to God give you the grace to accomplish these things, you will accomplish more and more. Flip over to uh, 2 Peter. Listen to the way Peter talks about growth as a Christian. 2 Peter 1, 8 to 10. You can just write it down. I'll read it to you. 2 Peter 1, 8 to 10. For if these qualities that we should strive for, because God has given us the grace and the promises to be able to do those things, Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, notice not enough, but increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, watch this phrase, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. As a Christian, if you're stifling yourself with, I'm not doing enough, you're never going to succeed. But do you believe you can do more? Do you look to God's power and say, now to him who is able, not my ability, but is the one I'm praying to able? That takes faith. That takes faith to say that the one who spoke the world into existence And the one who has the power to make the world come by speaking to it can can give you the grace that you need to endure anything that comes in your path because he is a God who is able. You can always do more and you must do more and it will happen when you are resilient in prayer. Second tip that I think will help you develop resiliency in prayer deepen your knowledge of God. As I'm saying those things and you're going to God, if you deepen your knowledge of God, you will deepen your resolve, your resiliency in prayer. Because the more you know about God, the more you understand your neediness of him. Remember that's what Paul prayed in 1.9, that you may walk in, uh, uh, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding may walk in the manner of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and here's the phrase, increasing in the knowledge of God. If you took some time in your prayer life just to simply take a list of attributes of God with you, you got Partners chapter two, Pastor Mike lays out some attributes, some verses, incorporate those in your prayer time. What you wanna do is gain a, a stockpile of theological weapons in your mind to battle the doubts. And so when I believe that my God is able and no circumstance can stop him, when I can say with Job at the end of the book of Job, after God had brought him through everything, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That is the conviction you need 
to have resolve in prayer and know that God is your Father. Listen, can we just go to a couple scriptures in the book of Luke? Go to Luke 11. Luke chapter 11. 1 to 13, you can write it down. I'm just going to go through it very quickly. This is the, the teaching on the, 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 that the Lord has given the disciples on how to pray. And he teaches them to honor God, know him as holy, talk about his kingdom, present your needs, ask for forgiveness, and then battle against temptation. And then verse 5, he goes into a story. And he tells a story here that is so incredible. It just to summarize it, he paints a scenario where a person is the least likely to get an answer, okay? In the ancient Near East culture, hospitality is a big deal, okay? It's not like today we can go get an Airbnb, we can have things door dashed to us. Back then, they had their friends, and that's how they got cared for by each other. So they would go into a new town, and when they got to a new town, they would look for friends, and their friends would bring them in, care for them, give them food, shelter, so they could be there. Hospitality was such a big thing, it would bring shame upon you if you didn't take care of friends. It could be shame upon the whole town. But there were exceptions to the rule. And when somebody comes in the middle of the night and you're sleeping and you don't have things prepared and you weren't expecting them, nobody, even in an honor-shame culture, is going to go, oh, you should have been ready for that. Even some of the rabbis at the time wrote, like, people understand, like, if somebody comes in the middle of the night, it's okay. But Jesus paints a scenario where a friend comes in the middle of the night, this guy's unprepared, so he goes to his neighbor's house, knocks on the door and says, I got nothing to eat. Can you give me something so I can care for my friend? Every logical person is going to say, if you're the neighbor that gets his door knocked on, you're going to shout from the other side of the door, uh, hey, I don't know the Hebrew term for idiot, hey, idiot, get out of here and go back to your house. It's the middle of the night. That guy can wait till morning for food. But the text says, because of the man's persistence, if it's according to the man who's asking, or because the other guy was afraid of the shame that could come upon him if he didn't help, whichever way we take it, it is because this man gets an answer in the least likely scenario that it is contrasted with you who has a father. I lost my father four years ago. He's a great man, very kind. He's a great, kind neighbor, okay? But I can assure you that if a neighbor came to my dad in the middle of the night and said, hey, can you give me some food so I can help somebody out? He'd say, hey, buddy, you got to go back home. But you know what would happen if I knocked on my dad's door at midnight? And I said, Dad, I need some food to help somebody. In a heartbeat, my dad's going to help me. Why? Because my dad loves me. So look at the application here. Verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Do you doubt the love of the Father? He sent his son to die for your sins. What will he not give to you? Romans 8, 32. So go ask him, but you gotta know him. You gotta believe it. You gotta trust it. Luke 18 says the same thing. Flip over to Luke 18. Jesus stressing this about prayer. Luke 18, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and never lose heart. We won't go into the details of it, but it's, again, a judge who's unlikely to give this woman an answer, and yet she gets an answer because she persists in coming. And if that's what an unrighteous judge will do, 
What will the righteous judge do? Know your Father, and you will pray more. My kids constantly ask me to get a dog. Dad, can we get a dog? Dad, can we get a dog? Maybe I'm, I'm evil and I'm not giving good gifts to my kids, but I tell you, I'm not getting you a dog. And they say, Dad, why, 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 can't, we, why can't we get a dog? And I say, because I have five dogs. You five sons are my dogs. You mess up my house. If you didn't mess up my house, I might think about getting a dog. But you are my five dogs right now. So when you grow up and learn responsibility, I'll get you something. But you know what animal I might be tempted to get my kid if they ask me? A bison. Do you guys know about bisons? I honestly think they are the coolest animal. If Compass Bible Church Tustin had a mascot, it would be a bison. Like, it's just a cool animal. I was reading a story. I mean, I'm reading a story on bison. It shows you how interesting my life is. I'm reading a story on bisons, and it said this. The way that they are ha- able to handle the extreme storms that come to them is incredible. God designed them in such an incredible way with their bodies, the way they're able to insulate heat. And he says it's necessary for them to be able to have all of these different things. Why? Because when the storm comes, rather than turning away from it, they turn towards the storm, hunker down, and endure it. If that's not the picture of the Christian life, I don't know what it is. But it will happen when you are resolved in prayer to have the grace you need to transform you to handle the battles of life. But you have to pray. Go back to Colossians, okay? We got to cook now. We're Colossians. We're only, we're only one-third of the way through this, okay? Being watchful in it. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanks. Giving this second half of it, being watchful, is a very interesting idea. And I think it does take on the, the command force of the first one where we could say, this is another command that must be true of your prayer times. And if you see yourself getting lax in your prayer time, I think it's because you are lacking faith and lacking the obedience of what Jesus is calling to you here. And one of the great weapons of prayer is to prepare you to fight against sin and temptation. Realize that prayer is not only about asking God for your needs. That's true. But part of prayer is being alert to things that are going on around you. So number two on your outline, write it down this way. Be on guard in your battle against sin. When you're praying and you want to develop this resolve, you have to be on guard in your prayer times in your battle against sin. And this will help transform your life. This Greek word here for for prayer, what we should be doing in prayer, shows up all over the, the New Testament to just talk about how a Christian in general should live. Can you write down uh, just simply 1 Corinthians 16, 13? We want a time to turn there. You know the Corinthian church, right? Not a model church, not getting a lot of stars on their chart from the Apostle Paul. He rebukes them, tells them to repent. They do in the second letter. We praise God for that. But at the end of it, what's one of the ways they're called to repentance? 1 Corinthians 16, 13, the first command that he gives to them is be watchful. You have to be alert. If you're not alert, aware, vigilant against temptation, you will not have success in the Christian life. This is what God calls us to be alert. I mean, we don't think of it much, but in ancient times, the idea of being a watchman in the tower to look for potential enemies was an essential job that you could not slack on. You had to be vigilant. You had to be diligent. You had to be alert. You had to constantly be on guard because you were the one who said, hey, the enemy's coming, prepare for battle. 
when you became a Christian by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you essentially got put in the watchtower of your own life in your own battle against sin and you have to do the job of identifying what's coming after your soul. 1 Peter 2.11, my brothers, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to watch out for the flesh which wages war against your soul. It is coming for you. And if you are not alert, if you're not thinking, if you don't consider yourself vulnerable, you're going to skip this and you will not be diligent or resilient in your prayer time. You have to be watchful. How can we make sure we develop this? We can't get into complacency as a watchman. We have to make sure we are sober, ready, prepared at all times. So two ways just to help you with this. I want you to anticipate the master's coming, okay? That's going to help you be watchful in prayer time, okay? We as Christians long for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. Do you long for Jesus Christ to come back? I hope you can say amen. I hope it's not just so the sermon will end for you. I hope you want Jesus to come back as a, to come back and to, to bring us to him. That's what, that's what John prayed at the end of Revelation, right? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We should long for that. And when we anticipate the master's coming, that is going to make us diligent in our preparation. Make sure we are following after all of his commands because the faithful and wise servant is the one who knows his master can come back at any moment. Can you turn with me to Mark chapter 13? Mark 13. Mark chapter 13. Verses 32 to 37. Listen to how Jesus is talking here. Mark 13, 32 to 37 says this, but concerning that day or hour, no one knows, okay, of the coming of the Son, nor the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. See that word stay awake? That's the word watchful we have from Colossians. Verse 35, therefore, command, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of your house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say, I say to you all, stay awake. This is a quality of American Christians that I would think is the least des described quality you would say if you were talking about American Christian. We have so much comfort around us that we don't think we have to be alert at all. But if you were in a war zone, you would be much more alert to the dangers around you. And if you had a master who you knew was coming back and you feared that master, you would do exactly what he was saying, but if you don't think he's coming, if you're not anticipating it, you're not likely to be faithful. Like I said, we have, we have five boys. We had three when we left. We decided, why not add two more? So we have five boys now, okay? I have a hard time remembering all their names. It's, I'm going with a number system now. Just as long as I can count to five, we're good with the boys. So we have, I love my kids. They're just, you know, there's a lot of them. So we have this area at home when the kids are getting the energy out. It's called the playroom, okay? Toys are down there. You guys just go down to the playroom and have fun. So we hear 
cries and anger and fighting and all this stuff. They're having a great time down there throwing figures at each other, shooting Nerf guns at each other, swinging baseball bats at each other, doing everything that boys should be doing. Then the playroom just looks like a mess, like an absolute war zone, like it's just been through devastation. And so once that's done and the dust has settled, I say, okay, guys, fun's over, time to clean up. So the playroom's downstairs. I say, dad's going to go upstairs and mom and him are going to hang out and I'll be back and I'm going to check and make sure that you have got the playroom done. And they always say, hey, dad, how long do we have? I'm like, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father <laughs> has set, okay? I'm going to come back when I'm ready and you should be diligent doing the work. But my sons, they think they're so smart, okay? We have a two-year-old, so we have to make sure that he can't just go around the house however he wants. So I have to put gates up everywhere. And these gates are the loudest gates possible. So you could hear it at any point in the house. So my sons think, okay, we'll just wait till we hear the gate. And when the gate closes, then we'll get on the work and we'll be okay. But what my foolish sons forget is that I have giraffe legs, okay? <laughs> and all it takes is me to just step on over without opening the gate and they don't hear me. And I creep down the stairs, and I hear them goofing around, and I whip around the corner, and you have never seen faster repentance in your life. <laughs> Leaders in the Southern Baptist Revivalist, Revivalistic Convention are studying my boys to see how we were able to get such a great, fast res repentance response. Why? Because the master came when they were not ready. If they anticipated my coming, they would have been diligent in doing it. And so they received discipline for not doing what they should be doing. You and I, if we genuinely loved and longed for the coming of our Lord, and we prayed, Jesus, what would solve everything would be if you came back this moment. And my life would be infinitely better if I was in your presence. And I know that you can come at any time. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Until then... Let me be faithful. That's going to make you resolved. That's going to bring grace. That's going to change you as you do that. So consider often that you have the master coming by anticipating the master's coming. will help you be on guard. Uh, letter B, understand your adversary, okay? Understand your adversary. If you understand, like I've said, like I've tried to paint this whole time, that there is a battle going on for your soul and there is a real struggle going on, if you understand the adversary, you're going to pray with a lot more alertness. You remember the verse, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be watchful. Be sober-minded. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Do you know the phrase? Firm in your faith. How do you express that faith? Resiliency in prayer. Be watchful is the first command, the same thing we have in Colossians 4.2, the same thing that Jesus was saying to the disciples. If you genuinely believe that there is a lion prowling around for you, you would not be so foolish as to leave the safari that you're on to walk into the tall grass without understanding this is a very dangerous zone for me. And please understand that as God is commanding you to do this, and the Lord Jesus Christ is commanding you to do this, it is not to stop or seep your joy, but to protect it. Because if you follow these commands to stay alert, to be vigilant, you will not fall into sin, which will steal your joy. You will depend upon grace, 
and you will rejoice with great joy. Think about this with, with the way that I, I, I teach my sons when we're in the parking lot. Uh, the other day, they like it when they get a reward to go to Whole Foods. They love Whole Foods pizza, just the slice of pizza, and to get a certain drink, and so they think that that's fun. And so we'll load all five boys up in the car, I will stop by the bank to get a small business loan and then come back to Whole Foods <laughs> and buy each of them a piece of pizza. And I'm saying, okay, this means you can't go to college. You don't get to do this. You were never going to make it anyway, so it's fine. We're just going <laughs> to... I'm not telling you which kid that is, okay? I'm not telling you which kid that is. So we're there at Whole Foods, and we get there. And it was late that night. I think, I think Andrea was gone on the women's retreat or something, and it's left up to me to cook, so I'm going to take them out. And we go, and we grab the pizza. So it's late at night. We're in the Whole Foods parking lot, and I just had the three younger ones with me. And that's six, four, and two, okay? And we're in the parking lot of Whole Foods, and it's dark at night. Now, is a dark, lit parking lot at night a safe place for a six, a four, and a two-year-old? Absolutely not. Cars cannot see little kids who are there. So my job as a dad, knowing the dangerous environment for my sons is to command them, be alert. This is not an environment for you to goof around in. I understand tag is fun, I understand imagination is fun, but if you do that here and you're not aware of your surroundings, tragic things could happen. I love you, son. Trust me that this is where you must stay awake because if you don't, you are going to get hurt. Don't you think that your heavenly father knows that about you and is telling you in prayer, you have temptations, you have proclivities, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. Spend time in prayer going, God, I know my fear of man. God, I understand the lust of these passions. God, I know my unrighteous anger is here and I'm asking that you would help me to be alert and put it to death. See if you don't start to grow as you apply that in your own prayer time. One more passage just to write down, 1 Peter 4, 7. I don't know that we, we consider prayer in this category. This is a, a synonym. It's not the same exact word. 1 Peter 4, 7 says this, the end of all things is at hand. So it's got an end time mindset. Anticipate the master coming. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I think too often, and myself as a preacher can be tempted to talk about prayer, bring everything to God in prayer, and that's absolutely true. But as that verse is true, so is the verse true that you should be self-controlled in your prayers, focusing on what is true and important, and you should be sober-minded. That's the synonym for being watchful. Do you know why it's so interesting that Peter wrote that? If, you're, if you were in Mark Go to Mark chapter 14. We were in Mark 13. Go to Mark 14. It's so striking that Peter would say that. Look at this encounter that he has with Jesus. Mark 14, verse 32 to 37. Familiar scene. This is Jesus in Gethsemane. Mark 14, 32 says this. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and watch this, began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, 
my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. There's our word, being watchful. And going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed. Stop right there. Jesus is the greatest example of a resilient prayer life that there ever was. Do you remember how we defined it back then? A stubborn, sanctified refusal to relinquish your faith in the will of God regardless of circumstances, feelings, trials, or difficulties. Jesus has said, my soul is sorrowful. I'm so sorrowful to death. And what does he do but is resilient in prayer? What does he pray? Father, if it were possible, let this hour pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. So remember back to the first point when I said you grow in your resiliency when you understand the greatness of God, Jesus is the example of that. Father, all things are possible for you. Jesus goes to the one who can do all things, his Father, and he trusts him, and he comes to him. Hebrews 5, 7, and 8 says, during the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus was resilient in prayer. He did it perfect so he could be your substitute. And if he's your substitute and savior, he should be your example. He said, remove this cup from me. Watch this. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Simon, Peter, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That's Peter who told us to be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Are you watchful when you pray? Do you just have an Amazon wish list on there, just telling God all the things you want, or do you realize what the battle of the flesh is about? See, what a great verse for you. Galatians 5, 16 says this, If I walk by the Spirit, I will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He goes on to say this, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit against the flesh to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. How will you get the power to overcome that except through resiliently praying? God, I know the battle is here and I'm willing to have you give me the grace to put this to death, but I need you. Are you that desperate? Are you that person ready to say, without Christ, I'm nothing? That is when you will be resolved to continue in prayer. Back to Colossians, there's one more thing. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Here's the last phrase, with thanksgiving. See, you can hear a lot of intensity, hopefully coming from the sermon. You can hear a lot of battle analogies, warlike analogies, and we pull the soldier analogies from the scriptures. Paul says to Timothy, suffer as a good soldier, and we understand all of that. But I don't want you to think that if you develop this mindset that you are going to be this downcast, in despair, never finding joy in life Christian, because the last category of prayer that you should be resilient in is offering thanks to God. Have you ever been around a thankful person? 
I mean, somebody who is struggling with a disease, yet they just found gratefulness to be encouraging to others. Somebody who didn't have a, a sense of entitlement, but just had a sense of humility about them and was just grateful for all that God had given. Those are the type of people you want to be around, and those people are forged in the, the fire of prayer. So number three on your outline this way, put preparation into your thanksgiving. If you're going to be resilient in this, you have to put preparation into your thanksgiving. Because if not, it will become rote and mechanical. Really put preparation into thinking about it. It's, it's like when I teach my sons how to be thankful. Of course, I just, I start at first like just the knee jerk, somebody gives you something, you need to express gratitude, say thank you. But if that's where it stops with my sons, they never mature into grateful people. So now you go from, hey, don't just say thank you, point something out that you really enjoy about it. Or tell the person why it means so much to you. Or, or give them a hug because they were very kind to you. And now we're increasing their ability to be thankful and to enjoy the gifts that are given. So you, in your prayer times, if it's just God, thank you for this and thank you for that, can you express it a little bit more? God, thank you for this. God, thank you for that. Ready for this? You want to put preparation in your thanksgiving? Why don't you thank God for the prayer requests he did not answer? The ones you thought were so important. But five, 10, 15 years down the road, you go, God, you knew so much better than I did. I wanted that thing and it was wrong for me and you knew that, but I didn't. Thank you for that. For five years, we have been praying for a building. We're trying to do a great thing for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ in the city of Tustin. And we'd walk a building and there would be a problem and we'd walk another building and it would be a problem. And over and over again, we're going, God, this looks like a godly desire. We want to do something for your name. Why won't you give us what we're asking for, but we will not stop asking? And so God grants it to us. And you know what I can look back and say, God? Thank you for waiting five years. Thank you for a pandemic. Thank you for putting me on a field to test my resolve for you. Well, I preach with the most passion when it is the least comfortable. Yes, I know I will because I've been there. Now that I have a building, will I steward it well? By the grace of God, because of the prayer request, he didn't answer. Now a sense of thankfulness comes from me. Now I understand what do I have that I did not receive, and if I've received it, why would I ever boast as if I did not receive it? Humility and thankfulness will go hand in hand because I don't have a sense of entitlement around me. We have to put preparation into thanksgiving. If we had the time, we would put over and over again the, the five times that Paul says in the book of Colossians, you have to be thankful. This must be a part of your time in prayer. You've got to put preparation into it to be thankful. Thankful for his will when he gives you and your will and his will line up. And thankful when it doesn't because you trust that he loves you. Listen, if you are attached to an unending source of blessing, you should be overflowing with thanksgiving. Okay, there are a laundry list of reasons why it's very hard to live with somebody like me. Okay, just ask my wife. There's a laundry list of things that make it difficult to live with a guy like me. But near the top is this. I have this horrible habit of letting the Brita filter overflow when I fill it up. We put the Brita filter next to the sink, and the sink 
that has a hose, and I can pull the hose and put it on top of the Brita filter. I don't know why we use the Brita filter. I never changed the Brita filter itself. It's like, this is just simply for mechanical sake. I'm just doing it. We should probably change the Brita filter. It's another reason why it's hard to live with me. So we put the, we put the hose in there, and we start to pour the water in. And I think, man, I, gotta, I got things to do in the morning. I'm going to multitask, and I'm going to go make my breakfast while the unending source of water that's turned on is filling up the Brita, but I'm going to remember to turn back and shut it off. So then I will come over here, and I will begin to dice and chop up whatever I'm making, and all of a sudden I will start to hear in the background the sound of overflowing water coming from the faucet. Why? Because when the faucet is on, the Brita filter is connected to something that is unending in what it's giving, okay? And it's never going to stop until I stop it. If I believe that God is an unending source of blessing and grace, which he is, I, have, I should be overflowing with thanksgiving because everything has been given to me. So it must be evident in your prayer life especially. Put preparation into that. Think, God, how can I become more grateful so that I am more resolved to do this with prayer? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. It is a short verse that I would challenge you to memorize, to put in your mind, but I'm begging you to do the hard work from taking it to your mind and putting it in your heart and doing it every single day, all of these aspects, more and more for his honor and glory so the church of Jesus Christ here is strengthened and the gospel goes out further and more churches are planted because we care for his name and his alone, but we must pray. Let's go to him right now and ask that he'd give us the grace to do so. Father in heaven, we do come and we say thank you for your grace. And we do pray, Father, that we would never take advantage of that, that we would treat your loving kindness as the greatest gift that we have ever received, that we would trust in your sovereign plan over the uh, wills and desires of our own heart. God, give us the ability to see that you are great and greatly to be praised and worthy of risks of taking chances for the gospel and getting people saved because apart from that, Father, what is our mission here? God, keep us directed as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ to make sure that in all things we do it for your namesake. So, Father, help us to be watchful in praying. Help us to encourage one another to do so and help us to do so for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.